Welcome back to Anything is Doosable. I am your host, Ligier Doosable, and today we have a special show. These are trying times in the United States with the unrest when it comes to police brutality, social injustice, protests, riots, and I felt like it was my duty to bring this next guest on and discuss these issues. This next guest is near and dear to my heart. He's my uncle, Sergeant Timothy Farrington. He served over 23 years as a law enforcement officer. He also served four years in the military, four years in Desert Storms with the U.S. Marines, and also three years in the U.S. Army. Please welcome to the Man Cave, Sergeant Timothy Farrington. Hey, thank you, Legend. Man, thanks for having me, and, and thanks for taking the time to dis discuss these issues with us. Let's get right into it. When you see the images of George Floyd with a fellow officer with his knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds until he's lifeless, what does that do to you? Oh, um, you know, um, my heart hurts. I mean, it's, it, it's almost like a knife digging deep down in your heart to see something like that. And knowing that, you know, we're in, we're in the 21st century and this is still, still going on, you know, um, but this is nothing new to us, yeah. you know, you know, dating back in the, you know, you know, from the early 1960s, from um, police brutality, you know, served as a, as a catalyst to uh, the race riots, yeah. you know, from the Watts riot in 65 to the Detroit riots in 60, uh, 67, all the way to the brutal beating of um, Rodney King yeah. in April of uh, 91 to the LA riots in 92. So, you know, um, you know, this has to stop. Yeah. What, what do you think needs to change? Because you just stated this has been a, a repeat thing that's been going on for years and for centuries. What what changes do you think need to be made? I think that first and foremost, we must identify, you know, the root of the problem. You know, we as we as men of color, people of color, uh, we're tired of, of, of oppression to exploitation to violation of our civil and human rights. I think that, you know, we just want an even playing field. You know, we want our voice to be heard. You know, we don't want to be discriminated against. We want to real, live within the laws of the United States, but give us the opportunity to do that without tying our hands and uh, end up dying at the at the hands of an overzealous individual. Yeah, you hear a lot, of, a lot about police reform and police reform has been going on for years, but yet these instances keep happening. Uh, in, in the state of New York and Minneapolis, I think they just outlawed chokeholds. But the other day, an officer in New York was chokeholding somebody. Um, people have been tired of hearing about police reform. When you hear about the fund the police, what comes to your mind? Well, you know, um, I I don't think that defunding the police is the answer here. I think that uh, the police and the community need to come together as one to try to root out the the bad apple within the agency. I think that it's, it's each and every one of us as human being responsibility to take responsibility for our actions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, not only the actions, the law enforcement take responsibility of their actions, but, you know, we as human being take responsibility for our actions as well. I think that, you know, um, oversight committee, committee is very much needed where you where people, you have leaders of the community sit on a board with law enforcement as well as 
a county commissioner as well as a, rep a state representative to try to um, reform reform the police department as well as build a stronger relationship so that the people, the citizens know that they have a voice when something like this occurs. Definitely. And, and I think a lot of officers don't really understand what the fund of police mean. I, I know you do, but the funding of the police means, yes, you are going to take from funds from the police department, but those funds are going to redirect those to social programs that really attack the root of the problem. Get into get into those impoverished neighborhoods, which are uh, predominantly black and brown people, actually uplifting those neighborhoods, funding more education, more health care, things that are uplift that neighborhood and curve the crime rate in those neighborhoods. I got a, a quick story for you and everybody else. Um, my girlfriend's sister just graduated from FIU. She's getting ready to go into the workforce as an educator. She got a degree in education and you have to do shadows before you can actually become a teacher. So she shadows a school in a, in a nicer neighborhood, um, predominantly white neighborhood. She goes into the classroom. There's, you know, cubby holes, bins for kids to put their, their things in. There's all type of decoration and educational material on the, the walls for the kids to see. So they're constantly learning, you know, year round. So she's like, oh, this is going to be a breeze. This is what teaching is like. I love it. She loved their first experience. Her second experience, she went to a lower income neighborhood, predominantly, predominantly black and Spanish neighborhood. And when she walks into the classrooms, there's no bins. There's no material on the walls. So she goes up to the teacher and asks her, where's you know all the material on the wall? Where's the, where's the cubby hole? Where, where's the bins for the kids to actually put their stuff away so they can you know learn to have more space at their desk? The teacher literally laughs in her face and says, you're gonna be broke if that's what you're gonna do. To me, that's part of the problem right there. It's criminal that we want our teachers to, to come out of pocket to help with our youth and, and they're supposed to be the future. How can they help educate when they're coming out of their pocket on their personal funds. So I think some of those funds could be redirected. I like what you said about the re reform and, and bringing the community together. Hopefully we can get something done because this needs to change. Uh, we cannot keep seeing our brothers and sisters out here murdered just just for, for nothing, literally. I, I mean, and, and it's what we kind of talked about off the camera. Uh, as a law enforcement officer, yeah, you're there to protect us and enforce the law, but that doesn't make you judge, jury, and executioner. So there's, there's something that definitely needs to be done. Well, with the death of George Floyd, um, there were protests, not just in America, all over the world. Um, as an officer on the front line, what was it like, you know, going through that? Uh, the riots haven't been as bad as the last month or so, but the first week, you know, they were pretty bad. And again, I would just urge you guys to, to, to make sure that you pay close attention to when the riots were going on, who was starting a majority of the riots. There were national Supreme groups out there with ulterior motives. And, and I understand that as, as, as black people, we, we've been hurt because we've been going through this for so many years. And I understand that you feel like we've protested, we've done this. I'm against rioting, but I can understand why people are so mad. But again, I will say this one more time, just make sure that you pay close attention to who is actually starting most of the riots. But as an officer on those, on those front lines, what was it like going through that, especially like the first week after the George Floyd murders? Well, you know, um as a man of color working in law enforcement, um, you know, I I took up earth oath to serve and protect. Yeah. But I, you know, I also, you know, pray each each time I put this uniform on because of the fact that um, it's not the color of my skin; it's what I represent. And when I go out there, I try to treat everyone 
as though I want my family member to be treated. Yeah. Now, with that being said, still my responsibility to not only police myself, but to make sure that I police my fellow officers, yeah. making sure that uh, you know everyone stays within within the guidelines and policy of our agencies, not violating anyone constitution constitutional or um, or civil rights. Um, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's really hard because of the fact that you know. Um, you know, on two folds, you know, I, I am a black man yeah. that works for a law enforcement agency. Other people look at me as though I'm the enemy. You know, I'm a traitor. I'm Uncle Tom. And it's not like that because I'm here. I'm here to protect. And I think I think when you talk about defunding, I, you know, I, I just I just feel that if you take it's you know, a lot of agencies are doing well with their training and trying to come up to par you try to rebuild that relationship with the community, but you have a lot of agents, small agencies that are dependent on funding, you know, the tax base or whether funding from the county or the city or even the state yeah. to to keep the manpower going. And if you take away, you, if you start taking away essential money from law enforcement, you got those small agencies or have to lay off individuals, yeah. good individuals that you know. Our fathers, our mothers, our brothers and sisters, not only law enforcement personnel that put on a uniform, but you also have to look at the administrative side, you know, the secretary, the janitors, everyone has a job to do. And I think that, you know, um, it's a start, but I think communication is everything. You know, so many people are so, uh, so hesitant about coming to the table. Open discussion. That's our start. If you're willing to come to the table with the open mind and so we can discuss the issues at hand, not only bring your problems to the table, but also, you know, come with some solutions. Yeah. And I think that it's a start. Yeah, definitely. There has to be an open form of communication, but everybody has to open, have an open mind on, on the police side and the community coming. And what I would say, just, just to rebuttal that and not technically rebuttal that, is that we've, we've tried to re- reform before, but it still seems like these issues keep happening. My thing is if we implement some of those funds and, and move them into the neighborhood, then you don't have to just throw cops at the problem. And, and that's a lot of the times the problem. A lot of times cops haven't been trained in, in aspects of mental health or dealing with somebody with a mental health issue. And I think something that is so pivoting is that lawyers take up to eight years to, to get a degree to learn all the law, but you're asking cops to go out there in just a matter of months and know the law and make split second decisions, which isn't fair to you guys either. But if we, if we uplift the neighborhood by putting those funds into the neighborhood instead of just throwing cops at the problem, let's see if that can actually make a change, curve the crime rate and uplift the neighborhoods. And that way it can actually make America more prosper, uh, prosperous because we'll have more and more neighborhoods. That, I mean, the, the balance of wealth won't be as high as it is. So there won't be so much crime in low province and, and, and low income areas compared to everywhere else in America. Well, I, I, I do agree. I do agree with what you're saying, Leji. And I think that, you know, um, it is it definitely a start. Yeah. But what we do have to we do have to look at that law. This is common sense here. Yeah. We, we've received we've see, received so much training um, on the law and how to apply the law. But it's common sense on interacting with people. Yeah. Common, it's common sense on how I treat you. You know, it's common. This is common sense. But. Like it, everyone says, common sense is not so common, yeah. you know, and that's that's the unfortunate part. 
part about it. And I think that, you know, um, when we start pulling money from law enforcement and, you know, um, diverting it into, um, you know, the youth, um, uh, public assistance and, and all those particular programs, we must be we must be careful of. You know how those programs are actually ran exactly. in the background, so that there's no abuse on that part as well. But I do think that you know the focus definitely should be on the community and how the how to build back the relationship with law enforcement and the community. What we had in the past of community policing, yeah. where we've gotten away from that, where where individual law enforcement was actually in the community, getting getting to know the community, yeah. and I think that that relationship. It's not gone, but you know we we still have a long a long road ahead of us. Yeah, you talked about weeding out some of these these bad apples. How do you think uh, we put a, a program in place to wean out some of these these officers that that aren't you know abiding the law or taking the law into their own hand and becoming executioners? Well, I think the most important part about it, you know, um, in the Marine Corps, we, we we always was taught to take care of your men. You take care of your men. Your men run your company, run the organization. And stuff. At the same time, we we must we must trust, but verify. Yeah. Trust that they're doing the job, but verify that they're actually doing their job exactly. and stuff. Because you always got the one or two that are going to take advantage of of your of your kindness or your niceness. Um, I think that it fall it ultimately falls from the top all the way down. You have you once once an individual is hired, he has to understand that this type of behavior would not be tolerated. Point blank. And if you want to step over that line, you're done. You know, a zero tolerance. And you know, we have gotten to that point that we have to have a zero tolerance. If we don't, we're leading into a race war and it's a war that you don't want to um, don't want to uh, lead to. Exactly.